Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. My name is Tim Harden, president of TFR, here with our executive director, Jeremy Kitchen. How you doing? Doing okay, man. All right. So things are starting to warm up just a little bit. Uh, we, have, we have some action this week, although not a whole lot. Um, what, what's going on in the legislature in your eyes right now, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, I think what you have is obviously the mad scramble, right, to file bills before the bill filing deadline on Friday. Uh, my understanding after talking to like legislative staffers, and I, I feel like they kind of run into this every cycle, but seemingly more uh, this cycle was that they're just there was a backlog of, you know, waiting for legislative counsel to uh, to draft a lot of these bills. So I imagine we already currently are, but we'll continue to see a deluge of bills filed in both the House and Senate through Friday. Um, I think generally this week has been focused on trying to figure out the details of, right, the House's uh, plan on uh, uh, on property tax relief. Um, there seems to be certainly a rallying around of lawmakers, or House lawmakers, um, you know, all creating graphics that say very similar things and posting them on social media and stuff. But as we've pointed out several times and people we've worked with have pointed out several times on social media, the math doesn't necessarily seem to add up. Um, in the way that they're trying to make it add up, uh, which of course, you know, creates a lot of concern uh, for their approaches and stuff. But I think that's been kind of the focus the last, not just for us, but for collectively just media uh, statewide has been trying to kind of filter through that some of that stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you know, uh, you know, the, uh, as he said, said, the bill filing deadline is on Friday. So we should have a whole slew of bills. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, quite a few will probably come in at the last second. Uh, we've still yet to have quite a few bills in the Senate priorities actually be revealed. And so we should have those uh, fairly shortly. Uh, hopefully next week we can kind of uh, go through those and talk about everything that has been filed. Uh, of course, you mentioned property tax reform. I uh, mentioned the graphic they've been putting out. You know, some of the things that were in that graphic there, the House specifically is claiming uh, 17 uh, billion in relief, right? Which we're not exactly sure how they got that number. They're also uh, claiming that whatever they're doing is going to result in a 28% decrease in school MNO, uh, which we're we're not sure how they're getting that number either. Uh, and essentially, kind of the 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 thing that's going to differentiate them between the Senate seems to be they're pushing for the appraisal cap to be lowered to five percent as opposed to ten, where the Senate is kind of uh, putting all of their their eggs in the uh, homestead exemption bucket. So it seems that's that's kind of the fight that's being set up. Of course, uh, we are kind of uh, critical of both plans. One, because neither of them put us on a, a path towards elimination, uh, restoring property rights to Texans. Uh, we would like to see them do way more. As it is right now, they're using about, about a third, I believe, of the surplus. Uh, that's nowhere near enough to, to hit that historic marker of, of $20 billion. The real number of the house is that, I think, if you subtract their old compression, the 5.3, it's about 12 billion. And so we still have 8 billion to go to even get to that historic number, much less where we want to see them, which is you know closer to 90 or even 100% of that surplus. Now, I did recently write an article kind of uh, talking about this, but it, it through the lens of uh, what, what else the house is doing, right? Which is, I believe, HB5 is their corporate welfare plan. And so I believe we have, uh, was it 33 or 35? It's in the 30s co-authors on, on HB5. Uh, and so we have a bipartisan support of this thing. And we've said many, many times that both parties you know, absolutely reject this. Uh, those who have paid attention in the last couple of sessions know that this was actually uh, left to die. Uh, and the program 313 specifically is what I'm talking about, died December 31st of last year. But here we are again, 
They're trying to revive corporate welfare. And the point I try to make in the article is, you know, they're, it seems as though they're doing the bare minimum they can do for homeowners. Uh, they're not concentrating on property rights. They're not concentrating on the restoration of our rights. But yet they're making a big show about this, quote unquote, an economic incentive plan, which, of course, is just a euphemism for corporate welfare. And so they're willing to pour billions and billions of dollars to help out multinational work, well, corporations get tax breaks, but yet they're not willing to do everything they can to help homeowners. I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the corporate welfare issue. The thing that they don't want to talk about, right, is it's this weird dynamic where you're in a legislative session where they want to promote specifically the House, right, because they're the most vocal on this, but they want to promote this, you know, property tax relief that they're going to provide, right, Texas taxpayers. But this corporate welfare revival effort is also going to be built upon the backs, right? It's going to increase the burden of individual taxpayers. And of course, they don't want to mention uh, mention that part. As we pointed out several times, the previous program that expired in December of last year, the Chapter 313 tax abatement program, it wasn't as if school districts, the local governments, right, that, uh, that instituted the exemption forwent spending, right? Like they didn't get rid of their spending. So in order to get what they needed, right, to spend, they just said, okay, yeah, you're exempt business or corporation, right? Let me go to the individual taxpayer uh, to collect what it is we think we need. And, you know, there's nothing that precludes that in House Bill 5 here. Um, and so it's this weird dynamic where they want to promote that they're going to provide property tax relief while also simultaneously trying to create an environment by which that burden increases on those very same taxpayers. It's it's just such a strange phenomenon, and I guess if you if you pay attention to the legislature, it's not that strange. It's really Pollard Parker, of course, right? Where they're they're in one breath saying, "Hey, we want to give the biggest property tax relief in history," but then you have this completely opposite. But also, we want to uh, you know give corporate welfare to corporations, which are just diametrically opposed in the mind of any fiscal conservative, right? Uh, the property tax relief is is good in premise, right? Uh, we would like to see them go much much further, uh, but not that I'm surprised to see the corporate welfare program, um, but uh, how bold they are. And then when you look at uh, just the House's priorities, um, they're really lackluster. The fact that, you know, they hold the majority of Republicans, I think, what, one, maybe one or two of the priorities are, are in the House's priorities. Now, I don't want to just concentrate on the House because I, I did make the point this week that the Senate, now in the House, we have uh, you know, five or six, maybe even more bills that would actually put us on a path towards elimination. Uh, I think Schaefer, you have Shaheen, you have Troxclair, you have Kane, you have uh, Harrison that has filed the abolition of, of property taxes. And so we have quite a few good actors who are actually trying their best to put us on a path towards elimination and begin the process of restoring property rights to Texans. However, no one in the Senate has done this. You know, and it's, it's not often we get to talk, uh, you know, about the Senate like this, but, you know, they're basically putting all their eggs, like I said, in that homestead exemption basket. And of course, their, you know, their rider is similar to the Houses and the Appropriations Act. So they're, they're basically the same. The only thing that's differentiating the two is the homestead versus the appraisal cap. However, it doesn't appear that any senators seem to be concerned about private property rights, about putting us on a path towards elimination, ultimately allowing Texans to finally own their homes. 
Yeah, to your point, right, the Senate filed, it was Senate Bill 3, filed by State Senator Paul Betancourt out of Houston. He also filed Senate Joint Resolution 3, which is the, it's the uh, legislation, the constitutional amendment that would be needed uh, to increase the homestead exemption. Um, and you're talking about putting all their eggs in a basket. Almost as soon as it was filed, all 31 senators, right, became authors of the bill, which, you know, if you're a taxpayer and someone that follows the legislature, that ultimately tells you that that's what's passing, right? That's what's passing out of the Senate. Um, as we mentioned, earlier right the house's approach seems more focused or at least house leadership's approach seems more focused on appraisal caps providing some you know compression which of course we favor but like this weird mechanism by which to do all that um, and to your point and i think you're absolutely right you know is that the the priorities of ours the legislative priorities of our organizations had primarily all been filed by house members now of course it does not appear that those are prioritized by house leadership right but to the, to the members uh these individual lawmakers um, in the House's, you know, credit, they at least have filed bills that not only provide tangible property tax relief, but also, more importantly, put us on a path to its elimination, as we've talked about several times on this podcast. In the Senate, there's not a single bill that does put us on a path. In fact, they all just kind of seem to throw up their hands and they are supportive of the Lieutenant Governor and, of course, State Senator Paul Betancourt's approach, which is the homestead exemption. Now, to be clear, too, I don't want to be too long on this, but, you know, we've talked about it. I think it's worth re-mentioning again. I don't know that we're outwardly opposed to a homestead exemption increase, but uh, we do think that it's one, it's gimmicky, and it's not really the best approach to provide tangible relief um, or at least lasting relief to, to property taxpayers. You know, we're going to be here every legislative cycle, increasing the homestead exemption multiple times, right? Um, and, and it's just something that not everyone benefits from. They have the tools in place this session. There's bills filed this session that would provide tax relief to everyone um, and, and, and also put us on a path to elimination. It's a shame they're not taking advantage of that. Yeah, you know, to your point, we're, we're never going to oppose anything that lowers taxes or even, even slows the growth, right? We don't agree with the strategy, but ultimately our point is exactly what you were keying in on. We've been doing this for 20 years. And this is akin to, you know, your your child coming down with a fever, right, and has an infection. And instead of giving that child antibiotics, uh, you give them Tylenol, right? And you just lower the fever and then it comes back. You lower the fever and it comes back. Because we're not actually dealing with the problem. We're dealing with the symptom of the problem, which is higher property taxes. The problem is the property tax system, right? The, the problem is the way in which we tax Texans. That is the problem, and that has been kind of our MO for the last year and a half is we believe that this whole system is immoral because it does not allow private property tax, uh, pri private property rights in Texas. And so we are advocating for the restoration of those rights by abolishing this system completely. And if we have to find another way to fund government, great. We don't think we do. Uh, we think the best way to actually fund the government is just to reduce our spending to actually shrink the size of the government because we have grown our budget about 300% since 2000, where on that, in that same time frame, I think population is around 40%. And so we have allowed our, our uh, budgetary growth to just be out of control. And just very recently, we put that, that spending cap on, uh, which of course is one of the main reasons we have this massive surplus. And so we believe that a combination of, you know, keeping a tight 
cap on the state budget that ultimately produces surpluses, using that money to pay down property taxes. And then, you know, according to our, our legislative priorities, doing that same thing on the local level, right? Placing caps on the local level that would in turn produce surpluses that we could use to pay down those portions of the property tax as well is the wisest and most fiscally responsible way to handle this problem. Uh, it's not that we would oppose, you know, I think in the, the Republican platform, they, they call for a consumption-based tax. We just don't think that's necessary. Uh, you know, any, any way in which we can restore private property rights, we're for it. Uh, but the reality is if we just show some minimal fiscal restraints, uh, we have a powerful enough economy where we can deal with this without you know, creating any new taxes and restore private property rights that way. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, I think it was two weeks ago when we published uh, Van Skin's uh, report right on the frozen budget. You know, if you just froze the budget, meaning like you didn't spend any more than we spent this last biennium at the state level, our surplus would be upwards of almost $60 billion, right? And you could, you know, if, if they cut even more at the state level, you could literally put us on a path quicker, right, to get rid of this tax. And I think that really illustrates what you, the point you were trying to make, both the state and local levels, you know, as we've said multiple times, once again, Texas does not have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. There's all sorts of taxation that already exists up and down, right? Uh, uh, you know, our, our kind of, our, our receipts and wallet as individuals. And, uh, you know, there's certainly a means by which they can do some of these things, but lawmakers and local elected officials would have to get serious. Um, about actually being fiscally responsible with these sorts of things. I'll pivot real quick. I think it's worth mentioning that this week we also finally saw the House right uh, file a ban on state uh, on taxpayer funded lobbying at the state level. Now there were a few other House bills that like kind of did this nuanced thing, right? They approached only school districts, or they approached only this thing. But uh, State uh, Representative Ellen Troxclair, a new freshman Republican out of Spicewood, the Austin area, uh, filed uh, a companion or a duplicate version of um, uh, State Senator Mays Middleton's bill, Senate Bill 175 that we've talked about. Uh, this took the form of House Bill 3538. And so uh, we now have a at least a proposed statewide ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying on both the House and Senate side now. Um, obviously, it's unclear whether or not those will be uh, prioritized. My understanding is that um, in, in the Senate hasn't been a problem in the past. They've passed these bans previously. The question is, does the House do something about it this cycle? I, I don't know. Yeah, well, we shall see. They certainly don't seem like they're prioritizing uh, any of this stuff based on what they've, you know, their top 20 bills and what they've been releasing. It, it kind of, it's, it's, I won't even comment on the other things, but it's just so, I'm very surprised by the priorities they picked um, based on the pressure that has been put on the legislature to deal with some of these overarching issues that are even outside of our wheelhouse as a fiscal organization. Um, now, I think we have to give praise where, where uh, praise is due, and Troxclair has actually filed two of our three uh, portions of our, our uh, tax prosperity plan. And so she filed the, the path to elimination and now the ban on taxpayer-funded uh, lobbying. So bravo to her. Uh, we, we love people who champion our issues, uh, so we appreciate her. Uh, and, and honestly, recently, uh, we had uh, Representative Harrison who has been a champion in a number of different, he, I believe, uh, filed the bill that would uh, lower the voter approval rate down to the new revenue rates. Uh, he's been very vocal about property taxes, and he has keyed in on a, a central part of what we've been saying for over a year now, which is property taxes are the problem. It's systemic because it is it, it denies us 
the right to own our property. It's a violation of private property rights. And so let's take a look at a clip he just had as a news interview uh, and maybe talk about it afterwards. I have a, a bill to abolish property taxes in Texas. I'm sure most homeowners would be like, great. Yes. How's this in reality going to work? Well, it would be great in reality. Look, I mean, property taxes, especially never-ending property taxes, they are unethical and they need to be abolished. One of the many things that President Reagan taught us is that they need to paint with bold colors, no pale pastels. And perhaps in Texas, there's no better place to apply that principle than on the area of private property rights. We either mean and are serious about private property rights in Texas or we're not. Texans are, they know their property taxes are out of control. I just watched one of the, or the Texans interviewed there calling the reform proposals, some of them a joke because of the measly amount that may or may not be saved. We have been trying to reform property taxes in Texas for a generation. And what do we have year after year? Homeowners are still having to write a check bigger than the year before. And we have record numbers of Texans losing their homes because they effectively have government landlords. You rent in Texas, you're not an owner even if you've paid off your home. So I'm proposing a bold proposal for a property tax-free Texas to amend the Constitution and say within five years, every city, county, school district in Texas, you've got to transition away from property taxes. Well, I'm sure you would have some pushback from uh, counties, local city governments, and, and, but is part of this replacing it with a, a higher sales tax? Is that part of what you're looking to do? And, and how would that offset? How would that work? So definitely not with an income tax. I'm really proud of the constitutional prohibition on income taxes. I'm just looking to add a constitutional prohibition on property taxes as well. See, it's a simple, it's a math problem at the end of the day. Governments need to buy goods and services, so they spend money. And then it's just a question of how do they tax Texans? And I'm simply asking all political subdivisions of the state to transition away from taxing people based on a completely unethical system that precludes any Texan from ever owning their home. And think about the economic benefit to this. There have been studies. Texas GDP would absolutely skyrocket. This would be the largest economic and business development program ever comprehended in the state of Texas. We could do away with all of the fights over property tax rates or appraisal values or 313s or what type of economic development programs we need because Texas if we abolish property taxes we would go from just being the economic engine of America which we are Texas would become the economic juggernaut for the world yeah so I, I think this is great right I mean he's obviously talking about all of the things that we're talking about and it's always great to have a lawmaker right in the current session also say the very same things right um, and you know I think what's important he's he hits on a lot of the issues we talk about all the time specific to you know, as long as we pay a property tax, you'll never own your home, right? Uh, two, you know, trying to be bold and lawmakers should be bold. They have a historic opportunity, as we've talked about several times this legislative session, to actually address the problem, the tumor, the cancerous tumor that is property taxes, right? Um, it's, it's crazy. And he mentions to his credit, right, the corporate welfare effort that we talked about earlier. But it's crazy, you know, like, if we want to provide economic incentive, right, to individual Texans to have people come to Texas to continue to create an environment by which our economy thrives, the best way to do that would to literally get rid of this tax, right, this immoral tax, not kind of create these gimmicks where the government gets to choose who's winner and who's a loser, right, sort of thing. And he talks about that. Um, to Representative Harrison's credit, I mean, he's, he's spot on on all of these issues, and uh, we absolutely agree. Yeah, I can you imagine, you know, that he mentions the fact that constitutionally we, we do not have an income tax. 
Uh, it would be very, very hard to undo that at this point. And so when we talk about the quote unquote economic incentives and we compare, hey, this corporate welfare program, which, by the way, I've mentioned that study that happened in 2018, where only 15 percent of 313 recipients even considered to be uh, worthy to, to consider staying in Texas because of this. And so most people who um, who who receive these don't even care if they get them. Of course, they're going to want the free money, but it's not going to determine whether or not they move their corporate headquarters to Texas. Uh, our culture and our state has more to do with that, and our economic climate has more to do with that than some corporate welfare program. But could you imagine if we eliminated property taxes completely? And so we could say we're the only state that does not have property taxes and does not have an income tax. Could you imagine the flood of businesses that would come here? If you talk about economic incentives, that is the best economic incentive I could ever think of. It is extremely low regulation. And of course, as we start moving that way, and I think we see the, the repercussions of that, I would assume that people would start opening their eyes and say, hey, maybe we should cut more regulations. Hey, maybe we should make this as friendly of a climate as we possibly can to put ourselves you know, apart instead of, you know, trying to, uh, to to compete with other states and who's going to give the most corporate welfare, we're just going to lower regulations and let the free market work. That is the best economic incentive that could possibly exist. Yeah, I mean, he said something to the effect, right, in the clip of like, you know, we're already the economic driver of the United States. Imagine if we were the economic driver of the world. And I think, I think that thinking, I wish a lot more lawmakers thought that way, right? You know, your purpose as a lawmaker outside of protecting our rights, not infringing upon them, right, is to ensure that there is a climate, right, that is uh, that that only allows for additional prosperity for your individual constituents. And um, I think he's spot on. I'm hopeful that, you know, his efforts this legislative session um, in this regard are fruitful. Yeah, so uh, as we've already mentioned, you know, we have a couple more days of bill filing. Of course, we're going to be paying attention to everything that slips in there at the last second. There's probably going to be some good, and inevitably, there's going to be some really, really bad ones as well. And so uh, we will absolutely have a report on kind of the, the, the final bills that were filed up to the deadline. Uh, we anticipate that now that the deadline has approached, we're going to continue to kind of pick up steam in session. Uh, ultimately, we'll probably be having vote notices uh, here pretty soon go out. If you are not subscribed to our fiscal note or to our vote alerts, I encourage you to go to texastaxpayers.com and sign up for those. Uh, other than that, Jeremy, you have anything else this week? No, I don't think so. Stay tuned. It's about to get pretty, you know, pretty, uh, 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 and it's going to escalate very quickly here, especially as we move into the budget process. So. Absolutely. We appreciate y'all being with us and we will see you next week on Taxpayer Talks. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. For even more content, head over to our website, texastaxpayers.com, where you can find all of our written content, the Fiscal Responsibility Index, and a whole host of resources that can help you navigate the already ongoing 88th legislative session. Make sure while you're there to subscribe to the Fiscal Note and Vote Notices to stay informed about issues that affect your wallet. Thanks.